my practices help me feel good in my own skin. My practices help me have a better relationship with my husband. My practices help me relate to a 30-year-old daughter in a way that can be less harmful than maybe I have always been. My practices help me to get over a hump of hurt a lot faster than they did when I was younger. And I could just go on and on and on. And if other beings did practices and could get the benefits that I get, we could be more of a community and hurt people less and be a better place to live. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Movement Matters, a real wellness podcast with Colin and Diana. This week, our guest is Ogden Kruger. She teaches Kundalini yoga here at Koru, as well as other places, and she's been doing it for quite some time. Um, as she says in her bio, she began to incorporate yoga and mindfulness practices back in the 80s, and she worked as a an educator and a counselor, we learned in the beginning of the um, interview that she works in all kinds of educational settings. She received her international yoga teacher certification in Kundalini in 2008 and has been teaching it ever since. We get to talk a lot about what is present moment for her and how she's developed a deep practice combining spirituality, yoga, meditation, coaching, and offering retreats to the community. This was a very, very in-depth conversation into Kundalini, particularly yoga in general, and what it means to be human. Right. It was the first one where we did an actual breathing exercise as well together, right? And chanting. And chanting. Lots Even of- chanting at the end. <laughs> Lots of chanting at the end. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you. This is lovely. You're How welcome. is Dan? Dan is lovely. He's lovely. <laughs> the main reason you're here is so we can, since it's taken, it's, it's a lot for us all to get together, we need to schedule when he's going to teach us how to make espresso. <laughs> yeah. So we can schedule that. 215-534. I write that down. Blip, 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 blip. <laughs> I can't give that out over the, right. the airwaves. Airwaves. But he is the one that will do that, and you will arrange that with him, and he's happy to do it. All right. And he was so kind to me this morning because I only get cappuccino on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And he's very strict. But he made me some this morning. Thank you, Dan. That's why I couldn't have any more coffee today because I had two. So sweet. Why do you only get it those days? Partly Partly because I thought it was healthier for me. I started it. I thought it was healthier because I used to put sugar in it. I don't put sugar in it anymore because I stopped sugar. But I think even even though I know 
that good things happen to dairy when it's steamed, like the bonding agents separate and it doesn't have the same mucus effect. I still felt like I shouldn't do it every day. Can you substitute dairy yeah, with uh, nut milk? Oat. The Ye oat milk? Yes, oh but God. I just, I know, people love that. <laughs> love and the oat. I'm just, hasn't resonated with me. I just am used to what I like. The flavor. And, mm. and I'm happy with what I like, so. I went to Love or Early Bird mm -hmm. on Sunday. You were supposed to be with us. Their coffee <laughs> is so strong. Too strong for me. Well, you were invited, and we had a little bro time, um, and we walked from PA into Frenchtown to Early Bird, and I uh, got the lavender latte oat milk. Mm. I don't know how you wouldn't want that every day. I get the matcha latte there. I could probably do that with the oat milk. I could try it. Yeah. That could be an experiment. It wasn't too strong, though. It, was, it seemed right. Mm. So that's a haunt of mine, you know coffee not on purpose no frenchtown because i taught there for 20 years mm. well oh, okay. counseled so to speak what's the difference well as a teacher you're in a classroom all day and you have a lesson plan and you've got 44 minutes and you got to get a beginning and a middle and an end and then you test everybody at the end i on the other hand saw whoever i wanted whenever i wanted in my little office space or in my group room and played games and talked and did yoga and taught kids how to breathe. And I was not in a classroom. As a counselor, you called it. Yes, I was a counselor. You but when I, when I first school? said it, I said I was a teacher. Yes, public public ah, education okay. for 30 years. Holy 30. moly. <laughs> I was just at that last school for 20. Wow. Yeah. In Frenchtown. Which school is in Frenchtown? Delaware Valley Regional High School. Ah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did you know she was a high school counselor? I like, knew you were a counselor. I didn't know for so long and in high school context. Mm. So, yeah, it's good to mm. know information. Long before yeah. that, I had spent some time in an elementary school and some time in a college. But Which ones? I was at Lammerfell Elementary, um, and I was at a place in West Deptford, New Jersey, and in Lawrenceville. Okay. Those times I was working on a state grant, so they moved me around and my very first five years kind of into the business was at uh, Mercer County Community College which is where I met Dan who I hired to work for me which is how we met what did you hire in 1981 um Dan's a smart little guy <laughs> in many very ways smart. and um mm. I actually hired him to tutor people in calculus and oh. electrical engineering, wow. which he did. Okay. Which, believe it or not, is how I ended up falling in love with Kundalini Yoga. I thought you were going to say that. I need to hear about that. <laughs> it's at the top of because my list. Because Dan became the tutor of Maharishi Singhkar Khalsa when he was studying to become a chiropractor. Back in 19, that might have been 81 or 82. I'd have to check in with him as to when that was. It was. So Dan was tutoring Maharishi mm -hmm. K. Mm -hmm. 
Sinkar Khalsa. Sinkar Khalsa. Mm-hmm. And he was studying to become a chiropractor. The Maharishi. Mahan Rishi was studying to become a calcu- uh, calculator. <laughs> That's good, too. We'll take yeah. that back. He was studying to become a chiropractor, which he is, a full-time chiropractor along with his kundalini practice and an amazing chiropractor that you know knows all about herbs and food and a very holistic chiropractic practice so what was dan's relationship with him you say he was tutoring him he tutored him what did that mean that means that once a week Mahan Rishi would come up into the library on the second floor of the library building at Mercer County Community College and sit down at a desk with Dan, and Dan would help him decipher some things that he needed help with. In relation to chiropractic? In relation to the classes that he needed okay. to take yeah. in order to get into chiropractic school. Oh, cool. So this was cool. way in the way beginning. Yeah, the basic yeah. sciences. So the basic Dan sciences. introduced you to Mahan Rishi or to Kundalini in general? I introduced Mahan Rishi to Dan. Uh-huh. <laughs> and actually, that's just, we connected deeper, but I had already, through another friend of mine, um, Christina Carolyn Manzoni, um, she brought me to my first Kundalini class, which happened before that. Dan and I were living in Trenton, and there was a pretty big little group of people doing kundalini yoga back then and I had done some yoga and then I went to one kundalini class and I was like oh no more yoga for me anymore this Hmm. is it what happened can you share with us Hmm. and this is in the 80s early 80s yeah early 80s okay um 83 might have been 83 that's what I'm gonna say years might not be exact but I think my first class was 83 um, I had taken yoga classes a number of different places and done a number of different things. And I was like, oh, you know, okay. That's how I felt when I walked out. Okay. And then my first kundalini class, I just was a different person the second I walked out. I was calmer. I was more relaxed. I, my body resonated more with what happened. So it's interesting because some uh, Hatha or Vinyasa people think Kundalini is really hard. And I think Vinyasa is really hard. Um, and you don't do headstands or handstands and you don't balance on a finger in kundalini. You are like, you're pumping it with your breath and your movement and your mind. Everything is involved. You have a mantra. You do the mantra from the second you walk in to the second you leave. So already you're shutting the door to whatever is outside. Then you do breathing, which is from here as opposed to up here which you're pointing at your lower um, abdomen yes as opposed to that chest yeah as opposed to this what they call victorian this victorious uprising breath so kundalini is always down there that resonated with my body that felt better to me i was able to breathe better um so what did you call it again vic victorious it's victorious uprising breath is what the hatha people call it 
And can, is it okay to translate that as shorter or shallower? It's, I, because I'm not Hatha, this could be incorrect, but it's like this hollow breath that comes from your throat and you're actually supposed to make a sort of a noise with oh, it as you what exhale. they call it, ujjayi? Exactly, okay. ujjayi breath. Ocean, and many ujjayi. people translate that as this kind of victorious uprising breath. Many Hatha people translate it as that, and books that I've read. So back, you were saying, before I asked what to correct that, or clarify that oh, word. So you had asked me why I fell in love with Kundalini, basically. And... Um, I just felt everything change in my body, and I also felt very deeply accepted. <laughs> accepted. Put a pin on that one. It was something that I never felt in any other class that I had attended before that time. And I also felt, which I think is a lot more alive everywhere now, but I really felt a much deeper sense of community than any other people. I had practiced with. At the end of those classes, in the very beginning, there was always this like little circle. And we'd close the class and nobody would leave and there would be this circle and there would just be conversation and people would connect and you kind of got to know everybody you were practicing with, even if it was a different person, each class. And that resonated deeply with me because I, I like people, I'm a connector, I know a lot of people, and I just, it was very comfortable for me to be in that situation, and it made me feel accepted. That's what I can say. How's that for an answer? It's a great one. <laughs> I love it, and it made me think about, in I would say that something triggered some acceptance of yourself in that context because I don't believe that you can feel accepted in a group unless you feel some sort of likeness to yourself, right? Can you feel at ease, feel taken in by the external? Reflects a little bit of that ease and internal acceptance the way that I experience it. And sometimes when you don't fit and you don't fit and you don't fit and you feel rejected and you feel like I don't belong, well, it's also maybe reflecting some internal disturbance in there. So somewhat it lines up, doesn't it? it the same thing happened to me in Feldenkrais. I walked out of the first class and I was transformed and I was at home. This is why I think there are a lot of similarities between what I do and what you folks do especially in the Feldenkrais. can't say so much about the other practices because I haven't participated in them. But Go on. So kundalini changes your nervous system. That's what it does. It's a yoga. I like to say it's inside-out yoga. It's not about a beautiful, perfect posture. It is not about looking like your teacher in downward facing dog where your heels are on the floor and your palms are on the floor and your fingers are spread and your everything is in this like perfect alignment whatever your body looks like that's not so important in kundalini what's important that your glands sync up that your nervous system gets regulated the right way that things flow that the pituitary which is your master gland speaks to the other glands 
Um, and so that's probably why I felt accepted because my nervous system got in alignment. So my inside already felt better. So therefore I felt better about me. So I was better able to connect with who was around me for me. So I speak only for me because everybody resonates with whatever is good for them. This really worked for me. And I can see what you're saying. You go to Feldenkrais, and what one of the things they're doing is trying to have your body move the way it innately is supposed to move and fall into place the way it is. Well, that's what Kundalini's doing to your glandular system and your nervous system. What Feldenkrais, I don't know how you would put that into words, is doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, for 100% in agreement. It's, it's a sense of arriving uh, to yourself. Yes. Right? It's like saying, oh, I'm home, I'm okay, everything is perfect. Yes, it might not be uh, the same as the person lying right next to me. That's why the pe person in the front, the teacher, so on, is, which, you know, Feldenkrais made it clear that we're not teachers. We are creating conditions for learning, right? And that we don't demonstrate. So you're, you're, the task is mm -hmm. to shut down a little bit of the external, meaning... Uh, the running mind by paying attention to the internal. So you shift the attention inwards, which brings you back home. And then you just notice what's there and notice that it changing and evolving as in, in as short as five minutes, something's changed mm -hmm. just because you bring your attention to them. But yeah, it comes with a load of acceptance, at least the way I like to, to share it with people, kindness and acceptance towards what is versus wishing that it was different or you had a different body or you had a different level of flexibility or anything. Mm -hmm. Just having the attention there, putting the question there mm -hmm. shifts. The, right? When you observe something, you change it, right? So just mm -hmm. the, the mere fact of you paying attention to yourself, to your breathing, like you said, or, or um, this, this focus. focus out of the mm -hmm. shopping list and into the mantra, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Something you said resonated with me slightly in a different way um, because you said that you don't demonstrate. And I don't want to say that I do or I don't demonstrate. Many kundalini teachers do not practice with the class. I happen to, partly because it's a little bit of ego because I want to feel what they're feeling. But... As a teacher, you're trained that you're just a vessel. You're just channeling the stuff. I didn't create kundalini yoga. I love it. I understand it. And I get great joy in sharing it. But I'm not the instructor. I'm the vessel because somebody else brought this down to the universe. And in the United States, a man named Yogi Bhajan, who was also a scientist, brought it here. And he completely saw from a scientific mind what kundalini does for your body, mind, soul, the whole thing together. So it's just interesting to know. I don't know if Maharishi is listening. I don't know what he would say to me because he has been my teacher for many years. Um, if he knew I practiced. And he, as a, I have a training coming up with him in October and in November, uh, 
because it just goes like everything. There's always more levels mm-hmm. <laughs> of training. But um, every once in a while, I'll see him do, he starts to do something. Like if you are up in the air and you're flapping your hands like this and you have to do it for 20 minutes, like he'll giggle and he'll like just come out there and help you. Because after 20 minutes of doing this, you can kind of freak out a little bit. And so he'll come up there, I guess, sort of as a person to to encourage you, to help you, to know that you can just keep going and you can keep your arms at this height. And um, Do you mean he comes during the, your practice? No, like he's in f- front of the class leading oh, the practice and giving us gotcha. something to do and Got we're all it. out here, but he's just sitting there and you can see him sort of giggling sometimes or looking at you and his, those big amazing eyes he has and you're just still here like this just going and he can see you like knowing you want to drop your arms right so just to clarify because i have taken your class and maybe people listening don't don't know what you're necessarily demonstrating right now during kundalini you hold certain positions over a period of time and you maintain that with the breath say three minutes to begin with right so you may have your arms extended to the side and you're shaking your hands right now mm-hmm. or you have them my favorite which is up in the air ego with your thumbs up. i love that it's one ego that, that, that's so much good for me mm-hmm. yeah i love it but then after a minute or two your arms begin to get a little shaky because mm-hmm. you're holding up against gravity plus you're breathing so every time you start a kundalini class you like Put your palms in front of your heart. You press into your sternum. You drop your chin. You focus at your third eye, which is where that pituitary is, and make all this action happen up top with your dopamine and your serotonin. And you do this beautiful mantra that you tune into. But so you are, it forces you to bow to your own heart and your heart to rise up to your third eye And it's about recognizing your own wisdom. It's about closing the outside out and coming in and really working on your true self to grow, to become a better you, to resonate at a higher level. And you are, so you're tuning in, Om Namo, Guru Dev Namo. You're tuning in to honor yourself, to honor the practice, to honor the time you spend, to honor the name of all the people in history that have brought this stuff down to you to have this. And I had had a rough day yesterday, and I was chitty-chatting with the students about my rough day, which I was upset because I felt like I became... I saw this materialisticness within myself that I didn't like. So I was upset about what happened to me. Then I was upset like, oh, man, I'm upset about something like this. And somebody else outside had a stroke and somebody had a horrible bike accident and, like, they can't move. And I'm worried about something as ridiculous as this. And I sat down and I tuned in. And thank God, because I, I could let it go. And I carried it for probably three or four hours around before I got here. And that's why I practice with my students when they're here because it's so much, it's so beneficial for me. And I was going to, I know you're asking me questions, but I was going to ask you both what resonates for me is practice. So to deal with life on a daily basis, I find things keep happening. 
Things keep happening every day. <laughs> Things change. People get in accidents. People die. People come in and out of your lives. There's miscommunication. If I didn't have this practice, I'm not sure how I would be with that. And I just wonder, you know, is it an ice bath? Is it an ice bath three times a week? Is it exercise? Is it, I mean, do you need that? Is this what we're doing here at Crew? Crew. Crew. <laughs> is this, you know, is that what keeping you being able to kind of be in the present moment and to not have your DNA kind of blow up, to not have your nervous system get out of whack? So I think, you know, I understood the question. I know I understood the question. I think any offering you um, choose to deliberately present to people in the context of whether it's teaching, coaching, uh, facilitating, counseling, et cetera, it's all a reflection of what you understand works for you in that given moment. You know, that moment can be a span of a week, three months, a year, 10 years, 20 years, whatever that moment is, but it's what seems to be working for you. So the short version of the last part of what you asked is that Koru is obviously a manifestation of what we, having the same essential tools in our tool belt, so to speak, um, know works for us and obviously believe it works, if not for all, at least for most, enough. So everything that we do, I do, and I'm pretty, I know Diana does as well. <laughs> uh, my morning is pretty much routine every, where I am every, every morning, nighttime as well. The in-between is where it's, there's a lot of variance. But the beginning of the day and the end of the day is pretty consistent. Um, what the is end, the beginning the end of the, of the day, day? isn't as consistent as it could be, and that's probably because of the move. The beginning of the day is very consistent. I... Always get up, obviously, as um, you know, early as I feel like I can based on when I was able to get to bed. I like to get a certain amount of sleep, so I like to get up early, but I know that I need a certain amount as well consistently. Um, early to me is by six. And that, yeah, even earlier is nice. Um, I have my own version basically of like the shit shower shave routine. And... <laughs> It usually starts with water. I always clean my mouth out, do something with water afterwards, drinking it, putting some on my, if not my feet and my scalp, at least. Usually it's my feet and my head. Is that cold water? No, oh, it's always cold water. Which of is a big, big kundalini thing. <laughs> yeah, that's one of Diana's notes here. And then I do what I think of as the, the other main S, because I definitely don't shave. Um, it's go stare at the void. That's what I call the meditating part. Mm. So it's a minimum of 20 minutes every morning, and I just sit. I have it consistently just sitting. Sometimes I go into it with a different prayer. Sometimes I go into it with a different general intention. But the consistent part is simply sitting for 20 minutes. Um, and then some version of the next one of those S's begins. Uh, and I go about the day. So the movement then is obviously the rest. I think of that mm -hmm. as just prep for everything that has to be done that day or whatever's going to be going on. But without that, like you're saying, yeah, I wouldn't be anywhere close to 
functioning and certainly not happily. Yeah, the days when I don't do that, which are rare, are definitely not the same. Yay. <laughs> and I have a very different answer to that. And I heard the same question, and I think I heard it, right? So I used to have a very set practice, just like that uh, routine, morning routine. And lately I, find, I found that uh, that needed to shift or open to uh, how can I say it in simple words I keep changing I'm in constant change in, in uh, growth and I realize that some of what um, was preventing me from expand to the next layer was that I was holding on to these practices the rigidity of the practice was keeping me stuck so I opened up to see what is that I need this morning what else is possible for me today so I do uh, wake up every day with a sort of opening in my heart which is kind of a question uh, how can I be of better service today what else is possible and then I lately been noticing that some days I go right into my meditation roll drink water sit down some days I cuddle and kiss and hold dearly. You know, it could be, uh, could be my children, could be my partner, could be my pillow. You know, but just that that moment of deep connection and stillness. Some days I need to go outside, put my feet on the grass, and and feel the sun and the in the grass. So I realize their uh, connection is the, 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 the thread. But sometimes it's connection to the divine and to my, my stillness in my sitting practice, basically Zen sitting. Sometimes it's connection to loved ones. Sometimes it's connection to the, to the earth. And that's being present. But it is a practice. You, it is a practice. It's an open practice of connection. That is what Every it is. Yeah. Thing that you said is a practice of mindfulness. Everything yeah. that you said you were entering mm -hmm. with that is what you're going to give yourself. And that is a practice and yeah. that is mindfulness. So Absolutely. really different ways you're doing the same as the us. The same thing. It's, except that I've noticed that I had a, an idea, a fixed idea of how that should look like. Mm -hmm. And that's been really like yeah. shifting for me lately. You're I making me laugh because <laughs> one time... Dan and I were in this amazing place and doing our meditation. And I said, look at that. And he said, no, your eyes have to be closed. I said, no, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. If right. you can sit and meditate for 20 minutes and there's the most amazing mountain you've ever seen in your life in front of you, you're going to shut your eyes? No, you're not going to lose your concentration. Mm -hmm. Look at that and let that add. Mm -hmm. So there is nothing has to be fixed I don't believe there nothing has to be I'm going to do this exactly the same way unless you're like an obsessive compulsive personality disorder type person. I do think there has to be consistency and you are consistently opening your heart every morning to ask what you need, how you can be more present, what you can give. Yeah. And that's consistency and I think that's what helps me and I hope and I think other beings yeah. on the planet. 
there's a lifting that happens right after that. And then I can go into my, I love reading and I love writing mm -hmm. and I love my cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. And then I'm blessed to be able to come here to Koro. And, and I, the, the first answer that came to me when I heard you asking the question was, I am grateful that every day I get to practice being with people in relationship, doing my functional integration sessions, teaching my class, because that's when I'm at my best in the flow. That's when I really get to be fully present because there's nowhere else to go and I can only do my best work when I'm present. So, so I've noticed since we opened Koru a few months ago that being able to work every day consistently, which I wasn't able to when I had a solo practice because there was less you know, traffic of clients or um, I didn't have to show up every day the way that I decided to show up to to this place so now the practice has deepened in me and it's mm -hmm. easier to have a, a great day when I'm doing what I love isn't it mm -hmm. so I'm so blessed mm -hmm. to be able to practice every day yes yeah and highlighting one other component maybe the most important one of what you said which is acknowledging that whatever you're doing it's about connection the essential need yeah the essential need is connecting Mm -hmm. which is the essence of obviously everything we're talking about and doing, mm -hmm. whether it's Kundalini yoga or some other kind of yoga or mm -hmm. awareness through movement or a nice bath, which we will get to more directly because we know it relates. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I know from myself especially, yeah, it's definitely amped up with uh, the last eight months being owning Koru here with uh, what we've been doing. I need to give myself that time because my, I get in my head. My head is just like a whirlwind. Like the second I wake up, it's, I'm ready. I, it's all about the focus and reading. Focus right on the, <laughs> it's for me, it's how I can focus right. Um, but it's not the same every time. That's, that's true. It used to be, well, I, I did uh, TM for a while and I still think of myself as doing it. I know my mantra. You can ask me, I'll tell you. Um, but I'm not attached to it being that way. I, you know, I've been introduced to a new prayer that I've just started using in the beginning, and I find that really nice. So letting it unfold and be malleable is not only good for you to be doing, but necessary for anyone to be doing. We're, you know, we can basically declare that as a good thing no matter what, whether it's because there's a beautiful horizon or mm. you're just recognizing that there's a... You've changed. Yeah. It needs to grow. That's life. Thinking we need to do the same thing every day is, you know, talk about kundalini yoga being inside out yoga. Mm -hmm. Seeing why that's a pattern, why that's an idea even, that we need to do the same thing every day, that is definitely an, in, that is a tricky idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and dare I say a dangerous one. Mm. Um, I appreciate that. But yes, like Ogden said, it's oh. all connection. Yeah, so core, there's a difference the between practice, which is this infinite series of, you know, um, this infinite process that we are in in different areas. There's also a routine, which is for some people what they need to really ground and focus the energy. And there's a difference between that and rituals, which is for me what we're talking about. Yeah, your ritual is your practice. 
and it changes and it's not always the same. It's not a routine in the sense it's always square, always triangular. It's a shift. Mm-hmm. But um, we can see throughout history that a lot of creative people, a lot of, not to mention religious people, had these rituals. Mm. Yeah, this way to, um, to move your intention in a certain direction mm-hmm. with, with that consecutive, constant rhythm. So the rhythm, the ritual, I think it helps us. It helps mm-hmm. us as children mm-hmm. to grow and develop. It helps us as artists to have mm. a ritual. You can see artists, you can see athletes, you can see people that are top performers. I love to study. And you see that they have their little movements and their little rituals that they do every time, right? And they kind of sets your right, sets your mm-hmm. energy right, your intention right, your, your presence. Can I add mm-hmm. something sure. here? This came to me just in a kind of a way of explaining some more in-depth of kundalini. But I believe that is not just kundalini. I believe maybe it's whatever this prayer you just learned or whatever. But science is really coming around to acknowledging a lot of things about spiritual practice and yoga practice. And in kundalini, there's a lot of mantra. And so when you tune in, your palms are on your sternum. So one thing that's happening is you're feeling the vibration of sound, and sound is very healing. And when you're healing, then your nervous system gets aligned and you feel good. Chanting mantra causes your tongue to constantly tap on the roof of your mouth. So on the roof of your mouth, there's 64 nerve endings. And as you're tapping, especially over and over again, this kind of like rhythmic thing, you're sending messages straight up into your brain, right up into your pituitary and your pineal, both of which are secretors of serotonin and dopamines and all these neurotransmitters. So in a Kundalini yoga class, you're getting the movement, you're getting the mantra, you're getting each thing taking a little deeper into regulating all these parts of your system. And when you do that over and over and over again, whether it's the same mantra or the same movement or a different one, you're still doing it over and over and over again. It like builds up on that. It, you get stronger. It's easier not to bump up against something that's going to knock you down. So, for example, we did a, a mantra for 11 minutes last What do you mean night. by that, Get something that's not going to bump you down? So, I'm going to tell you a little story okay. right now, and it's going <laughs> to help. So, my first um, thousand-day mantra that I ever did was Har Hare Hari Wahe Guru. So, seed, infinity, flow. Wahe is like ecstasy, the supreme, the greatest, and guru, which some people think, oh, that person's a guru, but Guru really means that which takes you from darkness into light. So anybody that helps you do that can sort of be a guru, so to speak. Um, Or it's the thought of learning something and changing. So I had a lot of fears growing up for many reasons. We all have different backgrounds, and I had things happen to me, and I was a fearful kind of a person. And this mantra is known for helping you 
breakthrough blocks. Some say building prosperity, but you have to break through the block to build anything. And um, so funny because I had plantar's fasciitis when this incident I'm going to tell you about happened. So I was in Maine with my husband, my daughter, another family, their child, and a child that they had brought along with them. And I don't know when this was, maybe 2009. And I had been doing that mantra for about a year, affecting every day for 11 minutes at least. And um, we came to this spot in this hike, and there was what was supposed to be on the map a creek, but really it turned out it was like a river. And so they're all, everybody's gung-ho, and I'm like, this is the end for Ogden. <laughs> she goes no further. You know, because I had such fear, partly from my mother, because she was a fearful person, partly this height thing I have. And so I said, all right, I'm, it's a big rock here. I'm going to stay. And the husband of the other person right away said, oh, I'm staying with Ogden. And everybody left. They crossed the creek. And I just watched them, and I saw them going deeper and deeper. So it definitely wasn't a creek. And they got out of sight in a very short period of time. And I stood up, and I said, this is ridiculous. Going in. That was not the person that I know myself to be. That was a different person. And I went in, and I crossed, and I said to the person behind me, I'm going. They said, I'm staying. I said, fine, I'm going. And I just went right in, clothes and all. <clears throat> Didn't care. The funny part of the story is about 15 minutes later, they're all running back the other way. The next ravine was too scary for everybody, and nobody could finish the hike. And this whole time I had planner's fasciitis and could barely walk, and we had already done about four miles. <laughs> so I will put it into that mantra for that year or so that I had been in it that changed my DNA enough to allow me to do something I never, the person I knew before never would have done. And that's just one example of how I think Kundalini has saved my life kind of over and over again, over and over again. So. It's mm, a beautiful story. <laughs> one yeah. thing, well, you have a question? One thing that I'm I'm interested in you connecting, which we have hinted at a couple of times, is that I know that Kundalini practice involves the the practice of cold showers, mm. which we are very fond of. So is it time for that or well, do you have something else to one ask? One of the mental notes I brought, and obviously I'm adding them as we go, was about language. And since you did just bring that up, we can come back to that or... Dig into a little more now. We won't forget about Ishnan. We won't forget about the cold shower. <laughs> okay. What? What? Because yeah. we're just doing language. So what? What about the language? Well, obviously, Sanskrit is one of the oldest languages. Mm -hmm. um, I think about the English language. You know, obviously, even right now, I'm clearly representing the fact that I'm very particular with how I use the English language, and. The why for me is because, to me, the language is, if not the most, it's certainly one of the most um, powerful tools we have for creating our own, um, well, reality, of course. Specifically, as you've been saying, from the inside out. Mm. 
And I, I really think the English language can be pretty damaging to our perspective <laughs> in the sense, specific sense of that ego and perhaps reinforcing ego too much. Well, obviously, we need some, but is it towards excess? And Sanskrit, obviously, I think part of the idea with Sanskrit is certainly not specific, doesn't necessarily relate to the English language specifically in that way, but I get the impression that Sanskrit, the understanding of Sanskrit is that it affects your sense of self totally differently, certainly not reinforcing ego. Well, it affects your nervous system, that is for sure. And Kundalini actually uses Gurmukh, which is like a variation of Sanskrit. Just okay. So, but it's very, very similar, and some well, we of the can words specified a Gurmukh are very yeah. certainly similar. Om is there, obviously. <laughs> but, but I specifically our, but this Om is different from the Aum Om of other yoga. Similar but different. Oh, all right. I want to hear the difference, but I also just wanted to put out that specific question of whether, of course, anybody, all four of us, Joe's here, um, have thoughts on the that idea of the English language as perhaps tilting us, pushing us excessively towards... I have a different thought. You understood the question. I do. <laughs> I Go do think I understand the question. And I think it's the presenter of the English language and not the language itself. So I am often thrown off track by what somebody says to me. And then I love to go back to this thing that Yogi Bhajan talked about a lot is that if you can look at what the other person is presenting to you and saying to you as a reflection of how they feel about themselves, then you don't need to take that on. So I think the language itself doesn't hold all the energy, but it's the person that takes that language and how they use it. Mm -hmm. with other beings that can create all kinds of So you have a more neutral perspective about the language. Yeah, I think it's... the language of English itself is neutral. I think it's a okay. very difficult language. It's difficult for foreigners when they come in because we've got so many different ways of saying things. And but specifically of a neutral perspective on the possibility that I'm proposing that it more often than not unintentionally affects our nervous system yes, in that Yes, by how it's way. presented to us. Okay. That's how I see it. Sure. I'm not, I, so I. Well, it's probably both. That's really where I ultimately land, since I still use the language. Right. I just try to use it poetically. So I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what part of the English language holds the energy. I know the person that uses it has a lot of energy, and it's put out as energy, but you know, somebody could say, um, I had a really great time tonight. It, it was really great to be with you. And somebody else could say, I had a really great time tonight. It's really great to be with you. Mm. And they are completely different. Mm. It is because one person had a really great time and they liked you. And the other person wanted to be polite and nice and didn't want to express that they were really happy to get the hell out of here. And that is the exact same words right. given with different energy resulting in a different effect on both the speaker and the receiver. Because it didn't feel good when I said it, not nice. It didn't feel good to me when I said it with an attitude. 
Maybe then a different way of looking at it is to say, I'm literally just thinking out loud, obviously, that it's, it, it requires, the English language requires so much more attention to detail to get the message clearly across. You require. You require <laughs> your understanding of the language and your care of how you want to present it to somebody of what you want to say, of what you want them to receive. Part of this is like the counselor mate. Yeah, which I... Coming well, out. And that's... Because, bring it out, yeah. <laughs> because people are hurt very badly by words, yeah. but they're not hurt by the words. They're hurt by the giver of the words and how they're treated by the giver of the words and how they've received the meaning of those words. It's not the words. It's who and gave it to them and how they gave it them. It's, but that's their interpretation. That's not the fault of the word. That yeah. is what they perceived it to mean. And believe it or not, 90% of the time, people don't speak what they truly mean. And that's where yeah. language, that's where they haven't learned the command of language or they haven't learned how to use their voice in a way that's safe. Right. So you would generally just say, which I think I pretty much agree with that. It's more about us than the tool. And yes. that being said, though, I do wonder why it seems like, like you said, 90%, which seems fair. There's a whole cycle. You can read about, <laughs> read about Johari's window. That's the whole, I mean, you may have even, that sure. might stick in your head a little bit, but you know, it's like this whole part of language. And is it worth describing? Well, I mean, that's what that was all about, that we say a lot of things, mm -hmm. but it may only be five words to say, needed to say what we mean. But either we're trying to figure it out in our head or we're trying to make people understand, but we're not seeing if they understand. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all this effect of the language and how it works and there's all different kind of levels if you look at that so i realized that part of what it's really i'm having an aha moment if i as i listen to you right now because i realized that um, speed has a lot to do with it the, the pacing how fast we speak uh -huh. right um because what you're you're putting attention bringing my attention to right now is that I don't know if 90% of the times that I speak to someone, I am having the conscious intention of communicating this particular feeling or emotion or message. So I'm mm -hmm. caught up in the, the use of the words and I'm thinking about it. Sometimes I'm thinking out loud as I speak mm -hmm. um, versus knowing what I want to communicate, having the intention of what I want you to receive Mm -hmm. And then say the words. I'm, I'm I'm very interested in movement efficiency, presence, awareness of my body and my movement. And yet, this is a whole level of awareness mm -hmm. of the use of the language mm -hmm. that I haven't thought about. Mm -hmm. Right? It's, it's the intention of mm -hmm. me. I want to get this through you, but I've been practicing it with my mind. Mm -hmm. And not with my mind, body, heart, everything mm -hmm. together. 
I don't know what day it was. One day last week, I was with Dan in the car. And he was coming up to a corner. And I felt he was getting ready to make a left, and he really should not. And I saw a car coming this way, and I got scared. I got frightened. And I called him the A word. <laughs> and he got angry at me. And we got home, and he asked me never to call him that word again. And I said, I really wasn't calling you that word. He said, you called me that word. I said, that was not at all what I meant. I was scared to death at the moment. I thought I was going to get hit by a car. I was freaking out. And without control over myself, that's what happened. It's not what I meant, but it's what my energy put into that language, and it really hurt him. So that's where I'm trying to get to the point. It's not the language. It's mm -hmm. the user of the language and the energy behind the language and how we present the language to people. And it's, it's deep. Yeah. Well, I it's think deep and it's emotional. And the question that I usually am asking myself is to the best of my ability, and it seems like what you're getting at is we need to try to ask ourselves more often as bet to the best of our abilities with respect to our you know, relationship to ourselves, our relationship to our partners, our children, etc. is why. Why is this what I'm experiencing or wanting to communicate? That's what causes you to slow down. Obviously, he didn't hear the why, and you had to think about the why, and eventually it became clear. The why just came to me. Yeah. Well, you said it, fear. Yes, I felt and fear, I felt fear, fear but also, <laughs> yeah. if it was you, you might have said something different, but you probably didn't grow up in the same household that I did where a mode of communication was often screaming and yelling at other family members, and right. that became a norm. Dan didn't grow up in that family. In Dan's family, nobody even ever told an honest truth about how they felt. Instead, mm. they just didn't talk at all. In my family, everybody screamed and yelled. Which is another, obviously, destructive yes. way of communicating. And it's a dance, <laughs> a dance that Dan and I have had to do for the 38 years that we've been together yeah. because it's very hard to unlearn what you grew up with. And that's regardless of the language, obviously, yes. like you're saying. Yeah. So that's, that's everything. <laughs> yeah. And the speed I was referring to is more about taking it in. And I, as I listened to you, just remembered um, learning from one of my teachers, Russell Delman, who is an amazing Feldenkrais practitioner and, and Zen meditator. And he's been doing this for probably as long as you've been doing Kundalini, maybe a little more. And he's the one person that I first seen having a conversation where he might be, you know, listen to you with his eyes closed <laughs> and taking it in and maybe taking a while to answer you. And then he will answer you. And before he talks to, like in a group setting, right? In a workshop setting, retreat setting, he will say, I'm going to answer you and please check in with yourself and see if this sounds right to you. So even before he answers you, he's giving you permission to be, maybe I'm completely off with, with what I'm going to say. 
I love that. So there's so much process. There's so much time. It's so there's so much space mm-hmm. in a conversation with him to receive, to really listen, to take it in, to see if it fits with you or not, and then to answer not from a place of reaction or I need to answer right away because my head is going so fast, but I can quiet down the head, get it through the heart, through my belly, my legs, and then I can speak it back mm-hmm. in this. Wow, a conversation may take hours, but what a different kind of conversation. And it's in the English language. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I didn't want to get rid of the language anyway. It'd be really hard for me to, you know, stay in the world if we... It's becoming the master. I mean, for me, at least because I'm not a native, I realize it's a master language where Mm -hmm. pretty much all over the world these days, you could communicate. So let's embrace it and, and see how to use it. I love that. Well, one tool you really hit there is remaining open to the possibility that you don't, in the probability, more accurately, that you don't know. So just continue to remember that more often than mm-hmm. not. Hence, you continue to clarify. So, but that hour long or hours of, of exploring one particular thing, obviously there's a lot of fruit there mm-hmm. that touches on everything and mm-hmm. more, just like electricity going (laughs) and isn't it really interesting how some people just can't stand it if there's no language sure stillness and quiet yeah there's so much so it's an interesting topic that could be discussed for hours (laughs) right well knowing obviously that I was assuming Sanskrit, but what is it called? Gurmukh. Gurmukh. G-U-R. Knowing how important chanting is, and like you just hit, I pray, and Mm -hmm. I very deliberately pray, and it's in the English language. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, I wanted to, that was one of the things that I knew we would get into. Um, So should we all go jump in a cold shower? Well, I've already done, (laughs) yeah, always. Let's do it. (laughs) I got my dose this morning. (sighs) But Sure. So when are you going to do a cold shower? <laughs> well, I do do cold showers at home. The ice bath, And there's, me. yes, <laughs> I do do cold showers at home, and they're very safe. Uh-huh. I do it at my own risk. And I do this. Prescription, And I do right? this. And, yes. Part of kundalini yoga. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. And How does that come about? What is the, the well, basics of it? It's really about getting the um the blood to rush up to the upper layer of the skin to activate you and energize you so i have learned you know i have learned that in ayurvedic with a dry brush i have learned that in kundalini with a cold shower i have learned that in macrobiotics they take a red hot rag and so they're all trying to get this energy to come up and to activate you and to get you ready for the day I'm not saying that the cold shower isn't the best way or it is the best way, but it is a way to wake up, to send the energy of your blood out to the outer of your skin and to get you into your body and to feel yourself and to be alive. Is there a specific breath to it in the Kundalini practice of the cold showers? You know, there may be, and I feel incapable of answering that. Because I don't know. We'll come back I'm going to have we'll to, to do ask, some research. I'm going <laughs> to ask 
have to ask a upper level Let's Kundalini because, person. Yeah, I noticed my instinctive reaction the first time I took a cold shower was to hyperventilate, <laughs> like ooh, <laughs> cold, 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 right? But then knowing what I know from a little bit of Wim Hof and the XPT uh -huh. breathing and just thinking about it, I realized if I quiet down and slow down the breath, so replace that almost reflexive <laughs> with um, hmm. really slow through the nose, nose, mouth, that cold was a lot more tolerable, even for the cold showers. So hmm. big difference. I will look into that. I was just thinking I'd be wanting to do breath of fire while I was doing it mm -hmm. and that I might try that. What is breath of fire? Breath of fire is a rapid rhythmic breath through your nose that pumps the blood really fast into Can you your make a heart. Bit? Yes. Your belly automatically is Only vibrating nose. back and forth and on the exhale it's pushing in 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 like it's pushing everything up. And it makes the blood flow really fast. And if mm. your blood is flowing really fast, then when something ice cold is going to hit you, it's not going to hurt as much because you're a little more activated. Okay. I'll play with that. Yeah. Yeah. I it's love, a fun I one. love Breath of Fire. Kabbalah One of my favorites. Yeah. Yes, which is a little different. Oh, it is? They're, yeah. They're not, the, they're not exactly the same. Jeez Louise, all these subtle distinctions. Mm. I love them. Keeps mm. you alert, you know, keeps you awake. Yeah. What's the difference? I One is more like bellows. Same. One is more like bellows, the Kabbalah Bhati and the and you're not taught trained to. So I'm gonna stand up a minute. Uh-huh. So in Breath of Fire. That's the G. <laughs> um in Breath of Fire, you're actually mm -hmm. constantly pumping your belly. So it's not just this. So in true breath of fire, it's and sometimes you'll just pump for 40 times without a breath and then go back to the breath. But, but this pumping action, I mean, I never was taught that anytime I was ever taught Kabbalah Bhati, ever. Okay. So it does happen naturally, but... Well, that's the best part. It becomes and, passive. But in Kundalini, you you really add this extra pushing. Okay. And I could be off on that, but that's my understanding. Sounds great. Either so. way, <laughs> I yeah. For what it's worth, I um I studied Hatha Yoga. I don't know if we've ever even talked about that. No. I lived at an ashram for a little bit. I learned. Uh, Kabbalah Bhati and uh, Analoma Veloma. Those were the two main ones mm -hmm. in Kriya breath. But right. I love the passivity and the real of the exhale, or excuse me, the inhale becomes passive when I've done it, such that you literally don't even have to. When I've taught it to people, it's the focus is figuring out how to let the air just come right back in passively, and the exhale mm -hmm. is the only part that has the effort. And you can pace it, go really slowly or really quickly, and that that was the context oh, okay. back studying specific classical hatha yoga back in an ashram and either way it's still good it doesn't matter oh obviously. yeah it doesn't matter um <laughs> well and it's obviously breath of fire enough. is never slow breath never of so, fire okay. is never ever slow ever it's always 
But, right off the bat. But the inhale is more passive because you're pumping your belly on the exhale. I mean, literally, if you worked yeah. on the pump you, and you could get it really fast, you could see exactly how the inhale is not as important as the exhale. Right. There's a allowing but, with the inhale. Yes, but yeah. it's very, very fast. Plus, it cleans your nose like nothing else, right? Yeah. It cleans a lot. It's known as a detoxifier. It's mm. a breath to detoxify, and it's always in a Kriya in the area of when you're trying to release things. And there are some classes, which I haven't taught one in a while, but I think now I'll look for one where you literally do breath of fire during the entire class. So you will be doing it for an hour or so, and you will be like, whew, well, the other over. Yeah, and I'm guessing Joe has a thought on it, but skull shining breath, isn't that the same name? Or is that a different... Is that different as well? Another answer. Another question. I can't we, respond to. Well, I, I've always <laughs> thought they were all the same. That's why I'm asking because uh, no, I want to clarify for myself. No, they're not the same. Okay. And there are there are so many breaths. Yes. There are so <laughs> many breaths, um, and I'm just having a mental fart about this one really cleansing breath that I'm going to teach you, and maybe after I teach you the name of it. It's a really detoxifying breath, and I just want to see if you can all feel it. Okay. So you inhale through an extended curled tongue, and you exhale through your nose. So let's just try four or five breaths, and then I'm going to talk to you about it. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that with my tongue. Yes, you can. Do you feel or taste anything on your tongue? Does it feel or taste weird? I feel the cold air. Do it a little more. I know I like it. Okay, <laughs> so it's a really detoxifying breath. And maybe because I've done it for so many years, and I'm sorry I can't think of the name of it right now, but um, it, it pulls metal right out of your body, and you'll you'll get that taste on your tongue. It's Ooh. this weird metallic-y thing. It's a re hmm. a really detoxifying breath. Am I doing breath. it like the curled tongue? Yeah, you got it. Yep, you got it. You, got it. Really? you are your tongue. I is thought curled, I couldn't girl. do that like, for life. <laughs> I never could do that. But it's like already I can feel like I need to take a sip of water now. Well, I guess wow. I get that. Yeah, I never, I don't necessarily know that that's metallic when I feel that. But it, yeah, that's what it it's tastes to bitter. me. Yeah, it's a weird. Okay. So you just discharge mm. some caca. Oh, there's all kinds of caca. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> also, because we love the breath, and we have never taken a moment to breathe together to this mics. It's the first time we just breathe into the... Yeah, we just talked yeah. a lot about it. Yeah, we talk about <laughs> it, we love it, we, you know, but never mm. stop to breathe together. I have a little app on my phone. Mm. Watch. Reminds me about 10 times a day to stop for 60 seconds and do the five-second breath, which is an amazing breath. Five-second inhale, five-second yeah. exhale. Studied by um, 
kind of made well-known, well, some people will say heart math, but really before that, a pretty well-known French cardiologist, um, Dr. David O'Hare, um, and they literally, if you do this breath for just five minutes a day for two to three weeks, you can literally learn how to regulate your chemicals, your DHEA over your serotonin so that you can get your body leveled out. So once you've practiced it consistently for a certain number of days, you'll only need to do it for a minute to get yourself back into homeostasis, to kind of be calm. It's a very cool breath. Not kundalini, not anything, but it's very cool. It's called heart rate coherence. That's what you're working on. It gets everything balanced. It's a little little brain there in your heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Along it... with the other brains. Yeah pointing to all the central nervous system <laughs> well actually they say there's a brain in the heart the stomach yeah and the brain yeah three heart, brains. stomach brain the three brains mm-hmm. yeah brain matters there does the kundalini if i may philosophy or perspective however you, whatever wording you would use embrace the idea that you're born with a certain number of breaths i know that's popular in some perspectives I don't know, but I know during my training, and some of the training is very, very intensive, that there was homework where we had to know we did at least 2,000 breaths a day. I feel like I've heard that. I feel like it came in there, but I don't think it was a kundalini thing. I don't. I'm reaching up there now, looking around in that gray matter, and I'm not finding the answer. Digging in the attic? Yeah, digging in the attic. But, yeah, I have heard that. I don't think it's a kundalini thing. Yeah. Maybe yeah. a broader yoga, quote-unquote, thing. Yeah. Oh, the, the Chinese. Chinese um, as well. Okay. Really, yeah, make that clear. Yeah. Another, we heard it doing Is somebody Kate's writing podcast? down all yes. these things we have to look up later? Because I am pretty good not going to remember all the things <laughs> we're okay. going to be looking but it's up recorded. later. <laughs> oh. I was curious to know if you have, because you're talking about Kundalini and science and and you guys have these practices that are consecutive day practices. Mm -hmm. And I realized in my own experience that there's something that clicks in even way before the thousand days. But if you are able to maintain a practice daily Mm -hmm. over a period of time, as short as two weeks, I want to say, there's something in your body that kind of clicks mm-hmm. that 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 has happened to me. Um, so I wonder if there's a scientific or explanation for that that you can share. Well, from your point of view, Kundalini would give you an explanation. An explanation. Explanation. Is that a word? Uh, <laughs> it is now. Um, but it's not as short as two weeks. Their shortest. Well, they do minutes. And then they do days. Mm. So it's, and scientifically, it's about changing the blood chemistry. Okay. Um, and then day-wise, it's about changing it to be a habit until it becomes instinctive. So in meditation, they do 3, 7, 11, 22. Like that's the beginning of their timings, 3, 7, 11, 22. And each one of days. those... Eight, three minutes, no, oh, three minutes, minutes, seven minutes, 11 minutes, 22 minutes. And each one starts to have a, an effect on the oxygenation yep. of or the blood. Da- oxidation, oxygenation of the blood. Okay. And then in the days, it's 40, 100, 
a thousand. And one is like, okay, you introduce a habit or you erase a habit. A hundred, you make that habit stick. A thousand, you've got it forever. It's mm. done. You've created what you need to create. And that's change has taken place in your body. So those are the Kundalini times and days. Thank you. Those. If I ever give this to my teachers to listen to, I hope I don't get in trouble. <laughs> they'll look, they'll just look at it with you. And hope. I knew I should have studied before I came. Yeah, we're quizzing. Well, you know, it's not like we know everything for <laughs> even close to it. I usually think in terms of the oxygen and the carbon dioxide exchange as far as the most consistent scientific component of breath work, so mm -hmm. to speak, like what's happening. Mm -hmm. um, CO2 tolerance being the, the piece that I pay the most, well, and the circulation and mm -hmm. general oxygenation. Oxy mm -hmm. That is a trick. You got me saying anything. Oxygenation of mm -hmm. the blood, oxidizing the red blood cells. Mm -hmm. um, and then with increasing circulation, getting more oxygen, mm -hmm. rich blood through the rest of your body. But also mm -hmm. CO2 tolerance. That seems to be a consistent... Um, component of why to do breath work that the science is validating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amongst other, I think that, yes, I agree with you completely. And, well, and by the science, we'll say the, uh, the research that's done in labs with uh, yes. particular kinds of tests. and That is shown repeatedly yeah, right. to create an effect. Yes, um, exactly. The, the testing over and over, yeah. And just to add for whoever may be listening, please do your best unless it's impossible to breathe through your nose. Okay, so there, there is that okay, foundation. Okay, because yeah. you've got those things in your nose that were put there for the reason of the filtering the dirt. The, the hairs in your nose are meant to be there to filter the dirt that is in the air before it gets into your lungs. I'm glad you said that because I wasn't sure a lot of the breaths that we've played with that you've showed us have been inhaling through the mouth. So I have one. I only showed you one through the mouth. Breath of fire is not through the mouth. No, no, not today. I mean, oh. like other days that we've just oh. played for a couple minutes. Oh, okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm a nose breather and most breaths are nose unless Amazing. they're a special breath that creates a different oxidation yeah. in your body, like the O breath. That's Got the it. O breath. <laughs> And you learned a lot of inhale through the mouth with Laird and Gabby, mm -hmm. right? A lot of breaths that are obviously different. It creates a different energy. I don't know what you're supposed to be creating, but I know it creates a different energy. The only reason I say this is because nose breathing is what cleans mm -hmm. the air before it enters your lungs. Why it's important to do it that way as much as you possibly can. Yeah, so in the context of just being an animal, a human animal on planet Earth, generally breathing through your nose, good. Yes. Playing around with breathing exercises and quote-unquote breath work, good. play with, there's Anything. a lot. <laughs> yes, yes, and Kundalini does a lot. We do an O breath, what they might call it canon. They call it canon breath, which, you know, you do, because you're creating a different level of oxygenation or oxidation, I think is what we're really looking for, the word. Mm-hmm. 
And so, I mean, just doing that a little bit for me, I feel it up here as opposed to down here. So if we're regulating something up here, we want to become heart-centered for a moment and get into that part, then that's a really good breath to do because it brings everything up there. What I'm also picking up is on the variability of it and the diversity of it mm -hmm. and the being able to observe. Are you stuck in this one breath all day or can you, can you play with it? Can you become versatile at, at how do you breathe mm -hmm. and send it in different directions and have it activate different parts of your body? Mm -hmm. Because that makes a lot of sense. Yes, it does. I mean, it's like your breath. It's like meditation. When I teach my meditation classes, I want to give people 20 styles because one resonates with one person and another person isn't going to do it if they have to do it that way. Another does some, another could do a walking meditation for hours, but somebody else might never walk. Another could do chanting and another person thinks that's religious and horrible. I'm not going to do that's weird. You know what I mean? So there's so many tools we have, so many breaths, so many different things and we have to have the language to be able to not judge other people because they don't like the one thing we like or they don't do the thing that they think oh well meditation is you close your eyes and you follow your breath and you're doing an inhale and you're doing an outhale you know it's it's yeah. not that it's what works to make you better. Yeah. So I would never diss any other kind of yoga. I do hope lots of people will come try kundalini because I think it's so powerful and so amazing. But that might not be the vehicle for someone. Yeah. Well, in that, in that diversity, I feel that we really connect and emulate nature. Because if you look at nature, I mean, look at those plants over there. No two leaves are the same. Look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the waves. I mean, no two raindrops, no two snowflakes. There's, you know, mm -hmm. this need to have it all perfectly square, like the houses we built and the cities and the grids is not nature. It's, mm -hmm. it's human needing to control and mm -hmm. make it predictable and easy to navigate. But nature mm -hmm. is constant movement, constant change, and it's very diverse. Mm -hmm. So by sinking in, with nature that way i feel like we're gaining a lot and uh it also allows you to keep the new and i know the brain loves the new and mm -hmm. dece decipher what's new in this mm -hmm. landscape and not say oh yeah i got that <laughs> bored to death very soon right but when you have to keep learning something and keep figuring it out you stay alive you stay growing so i love that Mm -hmm. um, just slightly switching, but still within the Kundalini realm, my last item on the list is this 4.30 a.m. magic number. What's up with that? Okay, so they talk about in Kundalini Yoga, this sadhana, which is the practice, and they like to do the practice during this time, which is called Amrit, A-M-R-I-T, Amrit Vela. V-E-L-A or Vela, Amrit Vela, Amrit Vela. And that is a time when the angle of the sun and the moon are 60 degrees from the earth and there's supposed to be a lot of energy at that time. And it's like, you know, somewhere between 3.30, 3.45 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And that's why many people will practice sadhana at that time because of what's happening energetically in 
the atmosphere that even adds empowerment and strength to their practice. Ah, so there is a window between 3.30? 3.30 and 6.30 about. Huh. And it's specific to astronomy. Yes. <laughs> it's Planets. scientific. Yeah. yeah. Is that the same idea or, um, yeah, idea as what might be referred to as sattvic hours and rajasic hours and tamasic hours? Well, they're, they're energies within your body. Is it, um, is it a different concept? Because I remember sattvic hours, so to speak. I don't know. Okay. I mean, we learn about sattva, tattva, and all that kind of yeah. stuff, but I never, ever related that to Amrit Vela or the time of the day. So does that mean that you would go to bed? Because this sounds like, like a human circadian rhythm. the sun rhythm, goes down. <laughs> right? There, there, you may say that your circadian rhythm may guide you to, there's a cycle like more or less ends at 3.30, 3 a.m., mm -hmm. and then a new one begins. Right. So what time do you have to go to bed to get up at 3.30 and get your eight hours? Um, Help me with the math. Well, I can't speak for other people. I can only <laughs> speak for myself. I think that would be a great question to ask Mahan Rishi what time he gets up because he always looks awake when I see him at those morning sadness. And so does his wife. She doesn't look as awake as him. But, you know, this morning I got up at 4.30. I don't always get up that early. But I had a better sleep. And I was asleep by 10.30. So I had a, like a seven-hour span of sleep. And that works for me. Sometimes six hours works for me. Mm. But I will say two things. And it doesn't always work easily for me to get up for morning sadhana. But every time I have ever done it in my life, something magical has happened. So when I go to Yardley for it, where they're, they have one once a month, I always see the most amazing things on my drive because it's still dark. So I see a lot of foxes and, you know, it's just like this whole universe we didn't know about. So, you know, there's something powerful about that time because they're all out there doing their thing and you see their eyes and you see them run across the road. And I'm like, they're all up. I'll get my act together and get better <laughs> at this. You know, I have been known to fall asleep every once in a while at morning sadhana. But don't Not tell driving anybody. to it, though. Not driving to it. <laughs> no, or she wouldn't be here. Not driving to it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great hour for creativity because the world is still very quiet. Mm -hmm. And we all know what the sunrise does, the, mm -hmm. the times that we've seen it, like what the sunrising does to you. Mm -hmm. And all that blue light that Laird is a fan of, he talks about the blue light before the sun rises. Mm. We all need to go to ice trigger, and Melatonin trigger for you to... To then identify the darkness at night to go to bed with the sun. Okay. Um, I always feel so nice. better when I'm up close to sunrise or before. It's. It is pretty cool. Just, yeah. But I literally just empowering. Feel, yeah, just feel better mm -hmm. on every level. Yeah, and there's new research that, uh, or not so new, maybe in the world, but new to me, <laughs> that uh, really proves the be the benefits of eight solid hours. Mm. So, okay, so that's a 7.30, 730 uh, bedtime, did yeah. you say? It's <laughs> tough. <laughs> Sometimes it happens naturally. You haven't said a thing. Sometimes Joe's very does. quiet. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thought about all that's going on here today? Well, I'm curious. Let me just readjust here. I trained my cat to um, hit the doorknob at 5.30 in the morning. 
So my little black cat and I wake up together and I meditate around 5.40 and it's still dark and it's beautiful and I live in the woods and get to see the deer and the fawns and mm. everything right in my backyard. <laughs> mm. And uh, it's cool to do like a 20-minute meditation uh, and see from 5.40 to 6 o'clock like the very, you know, different light that happens between mm. that time. Um, and I've, I've been doing cold showers by candlelight in the mornings. Mm. And that's just like a great way to slowly ease into my day. Still like be in that blanket of like darkness sort of, but, you know, sort of uh, slowly ease into it being bright outside, you know? Not hitting the lights right away and <laughs> giving myself a cold blast, you know. Um, so, do you end the day with candlelight too? No, <laughs> I find I find that makes a huge but, difference. Yeah, I feel like mm. that would definitely. <laughs> yeah, Even last if, night I ended the night with my computer, which I normally do not do. Well, yeah, but you didn't. Well, was it in bed? No. Well, then you did something in between. Yeah, I just turned off the light right away and yeah. like just got my, you know, just my internal state out of the world of bright lights and numbers and stuff. Speaking of numbers, and your home sounds like a fairy tale where we should all be living. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joe just turned 30. Oh, yeah. Over the weekend. Happy birthday, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> Which day? Which numeric day? The 10th. Mm. Nice. Yeah. I'm a Leo with a Gemini rising. Okay. <laughs> That's Patrick's 36th birthday today, FYI. If you feel like saying happy birthday to him. Happy birthday, happy birthday Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> I don't know who Patrick my is, brother, but ha- my oh, older brother. Yeah. Happy birthday, Patrick. He's our I'm Patrick's starting to feel our, really old. Coding our new here. website. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it earlier, but I wasn't even born yet when you were when you uh, were in Trenton. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Joe wasn't either. I was almost five. Yeah. I got the big one more than the Beatles song coming on. Yeah, nice. soon. Is Dan mm-hmm. going to sing it? One more. Uh, we're going to have it. It's going to be a wing ding. There's going to be a lot of singing. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. I was almost 10. I take it back. I was seven, right? I was, I was born in 1975. Check. I was thinking You were 10. <laughs> I was almost 10. You were 10 when I was... You were born in when? 1975. Okay. Yeah, I was close to 30 when you were born, baby. There no. Nothing like really that. happened that year that is remarkable except for my birth. No, 20. I was. Uh-huh. You know those cards that have the number and like you oh, look yes. at what happens like, oh gosh. Mm. I never, yeah. Mm. Unless April, I am forgetting something. 22nd, 1984. Don't, don't give up all my personal <laughs> information. Social security number. <laughs> um so you turned 64 this year is that what we just did? that was the beatles reference right i said right? one more yeah right but that's the beatles reference right the, yes so okay. i'll be you know i love that song 65 oh okay i thought you were saying see i turn. said one more right, right, right. i think we should just give up counting because that makes no sense at all i mean i look at you you said you just <laughs> very logical what and well, you, you know just what? he just talked about his daily ritual and and i mean yeah the level of knowing yourself that speaks to that 
practice has nothing to do with right. age. Right. Right. And you can find a person that is 65 and has no idea of what they need to get up the day and drive into their day. So this few. is makes so much, so little yeah. sense yeah. to keep counting. It's the same as we're counting. Oh yeah, it's October. No, sorry. It's August um, already. And, and we get caught up in this. Oh, it's August already. And oh my gosh. And how can it be? And what happened to the year? And it's almost the end of 2019. I'm like, can we just give up counting and start <laughs> thinking and feeling the, the, the time in a different way? Yeah. How about the yogi way of telling your age? Go ahead. It's I about am. the flexibility of your spine. Ooh, that's pretty Ooh. badass. I like that. Meaning I, exactly what? Meaning if it ain't flexible, you old baby. Got it. Yeah, that's much you more can't real do anything yeah that's not as arbitrary obviously mm -hmm. the number is not totally arbitrary but yeah it's got a lot of art we impose a lot of arbitrary components to it i was just listening to sam harris's last podcast sometimes i do listen because i know i think we've talked about how sometimes you never mind <laughs> but there was a quote in that that i just really enjoyed which was the more you i the more labels you give yourself the dumber you are Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. more labels you give yourself obviously the better way of saying it is that it's this is the is this the guy that wrote 10 percent happier that guy is that maybe talking about but Med he's coming to meditation. mind a lot right now because he has a whole meditation i think meditation is essentially his main focus these I days i think he wrote a book he uh, used to be a newscaster no that's a different person yeah. he's a neuroscientist neuroscientist oh, okay yeah. he he was he broke out when he wrote a book called The End of Faith. Um, it's definitely got an interesting idea oh, okay. about atheism and God. But regardless of that, I was just thinking about that quote from yesterday about how the more labels you give yourself mm -hmm. actually limits your identity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know what you give labels with? Words. Word. Language, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, the prayer that I am... is rooted in the I am, if you will, the, mm -hmm. the teaching that I'm embracing a bit more. Yeah, uh, that that prayer I mentioned is... What is that prayer? I can go get it. I'll get it before we leave and I'll say it. It's on my okay. phone, which is in another room. Okay. Only if you can sing your mantra. Oh, which okay. <laughs> not Would to impose, not to demand, but just okay. say, oh, wouldn't it be nice to share our prayers? Mm -hmm. In that mantra that I sang with you. Will you do it with me? I'll do it with That's you if Beach I can. Song, not a Beatles song. Okay. And also uh, interested in in hearing why um, do you close Kundalini with this song that everybody insists on. And I just like that. I knew that song way before I knew it was related to Kundalini at all. Mm -hmm. The song always brought me peace. And always br I knew the version by Snatam. Sonatum Car. Sonatum Car. However you say that. Mm -hmm. and, it's a tough uh, name. Beautiful, beautiful melody. And I always felt very centered after I heard the song. And then when I, oh yeah, everybody in the world sings that song at the end of Kundalini practice. I'm like, oh, duh. No mm. wonder, right? It feels so freaking good. Mm. So just thinking about sounds and prayers and sharing Let's that. Let's do them at the end. We still got some okay. time. Do them at the end? All of them? Whenever. Just a request. Didn't mean to say... Only if you do this. <laughs> you know, it's just so funny that you say that because I had this like big plan to come in and let us not start the podcast until we tuned in. Mm. But I didn't get it out. <laughs> well, we kind of did it. 
kind of sort of and then um we were tuned in and i have this thought about at the end we can do may the long time sun but there's this one other thing i'll add at the end that okay. i always do after the long time sun okay yeah, yeah, let's do it at the All end. All these practices yeah. are great. And mm. by the way, just to share, we, we had a, a yoga meeting recently here at Koro with our other yoga teacher. And um, you proposed that we mm. held ourselves in a way for about three minutes, mm -hmm. which included some radiance and holding your heart. And we've been doing that more and more. We, we used to do it at the beginning of our creation meetings, always just tuning in, taking up time to arrive and... I'm not going to say it's unseen in the business world to be in a business meeting with let's all like hold space together and be silent and be present. I'm probably sure, I'm sure many people do it. It's not so much heard of or talked about and you don't see it in business books or podcasts mm -hmm. or people talking about best practices. And I find it very, very useful mm -hmm. and uh, to, to, f end, to begin or end a meeting doesn't have to be spiritual you don't have to set an intention there but you kind of mm. do well anyway it just clicked in that the guy i was thinking about's name is dan harris and dan yeah, harris yeah. recently wrote a book i think he's gone a second book but he recently wrote a book called 10 percent happier and he worked for abc news and his oh, he did life all that was a little yeah. messed up and you know on the last page or next to the last page he's writes he's walking down the hall and diane sawyer says to him you know like why did you do this why are you doing this like what is he said i'm 10 percent happier and it was about his pursuing figuring out how to get meditation in his life whether it was worth it and the different types of things that he tried over the period of a year, I think, including going on a 10-day silent retreat and such and such, and getting, he studied the science of it, but was more about the somatics mm. of it and how he felt as a being. And that's what I think all of our practices and what we're all here for is that somatic, somatic like, let me just feel good inside. Let me just feel more in my body, more safe, more whole, more better. <laughs> you know, yeah. Feel, even just thing. let me feel whatever yes. is there to be felt. Because yes. I can feel sad and I can feel anxious, but at least tune into what am I feeling? Can I accept it? Say hello to it and just let it move through me because it's not permanent. Exactly. And the thing is, when the sad becomes permanent, if you have the happy in there somatically and you can get to it, you can help move through the sad if it doesn't go away. Yeah. And it's not just letting it. It's actually even to some extent learning how to intelligently prioritize it. That's a shift. That's a new piece of awareness is the prioritization of feeling what you need to feel, what you mm -hmm. are feeling. And this is what gives me, this is like a declaration that I want to make and see how it, what you reflect back. It's what gives me hope. And I remember hearing about that book and it was exciting to hear about. I think it was also on a recent podcast I was listening to. The, the extent to which meditation or just sitting and breathing or allowing or staring at the void or observing or 
being with oneself, whatever you call it, the extent mm -hmm. to which it is becoming mainstream, and it is, and that's, that seems like a fact, if that above all else gives me hope for humanity, for our ability to uh, shift. And I, I can't help but think that it has to do with the fact or the, my perception that we've pushed to the limit in exploring not feeling or exploring forcefulness, exploring all of the things that don't fit in with our somatic um, philosophy, or they don't fit uh, on their own. Obviously, there's some effort and there's some forcing that's relevant to real life, but the excess that I think we've explored primarily in the 20th century and still somewhat, um, that seems like the end result of the end result of pushing that much. We'd have to be willing to just get back to or or reprioritize feeling in these ways, and that looks good from where I'm sitting. That looks like a good thing. Yeah. Gives me hope. I like hope. Hope, <laughs> is a, hope is a good thing. You know, I'm not sure what you're asking, but what, I'm, what I can say is my practice is help me feel good in my own skin. My practices help me have a better relationship with my husband. My practices help me relate to a 30-year-old daughter in a way that can be less harmful than maybe I have always been. My practices help me to get over a hump of hurt a lot faster than they did when I was younger and I could just go on and on and on and if other beings did practices and could get the benefits that I get we could be more of a community and hurt people less and be a better place to live there's your social media snippet <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I want to, <laughs> what I was asking then, and thank that was really great. I mean, that was beautiful. I think the question is, as the elder, so to speak, the one who's literally, you've seen more, experienced more. It's true. I mean, from a perspective, certain perspective, do you see a shift culturally from a certain kind of excess to something that I'm saying is hopeful? Well, how could there not be a shift if somebody like Marianne Williamson is running for president? I mean, I was seriously. just thinking of her well, with this whole last yeah, yeah. snippet because there you have someone that is talking about things no one else is talking about mm -hmm. in relation mm -hmm. to politics. So there is time to to have a new conversation, even if it makes some people squiggly in their chairs. Like, wait, are you okay saying that you're fearful? Are you okay saying you're disconnected? Are you okay saying that mm -hmm. we need to address this anxiety and this PTSD and I mean the way she's talking about it would make me happy if people would just listen to her mm. and of course if you want to give a definition of the word listen it's a lot more than the five letters that are in the word <laughs> and it goes all about your six letters 
your thing about language. And as opposed to judging her, thinking she's weird, what is she talking about? If people would sit back and listen, whether she were ever to become president or not, they could just become more present with what is happening right. on our planet right now. And I do read the paper, and sometimes I wish I didn't. You know, you see, yeah, so. you see those <laughs> condemnations, but let's yes. not focus on that. That poem has been with me from probably the beginning of my sort of awakening, Which, our, de our deepest fear. Oh, I know that we are inadequate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but you are not. I it's like perfect that. Poem. I like that yeah. poem as well. We should. Somebody should have their phone and pull it up, and all I'll you have to do is type the three words, and we should read fear. that to our listeners because it is a really good poem, and I, I don't know it by it. heart. Well, let's do that. I'll get mm -hmm. that prayer. We'll do this. We are nearing that point, so okay. yeah, let's let's do it. Let's get these declarations out there, and let's get them. Yeah, got it. Here's the poem. Thank you. And that Great. Yeah. So you want to read the poem? Yes, definitely. Okay. Do you want to read it yourself? Here it is. You don't want to read it? I'm happy to read it. You don't <laughs> oh, want to please read it. read it. You brought it up. Okay. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. Guru, right in there. There's a longer Light version now. There's, there's more. Let's get uh -huh. the longer one. Okay, okay, I'll get to the longer one. I got it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quicker than a wink. That looked cool because it looked like it was written on an old scribe. That was it cool. is, yeah, that's it. <laughs> or on an old scroll. Uh, now this, except this is President Nelson Mandela. Well, he, yeah, he read it apparently at... Um, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fears, our presence automatically liberates others," said President Nelson Mandela in 1994, his inaugural speech. Mm. <laughs> you want to own Nemo with me? Yeah, let's mm -hmm. own Nemo with you. So Ong Namo, Namo is the name of Ong. It's like I bow to the presence of Ong Namo. Guru, I bow to the presence of that which brings me from lightness to dark. Dev, Ong Namo Guru, Dev. Dev is like this energy that moves it through. 
bowing again to that name, Om Namo, Guru Dev Namo, lifting your heart to your head, your head to your heart, connecting to your own wisdom, bringing yourself into this divine space of practice, honoring everybody that brought this down to you and your ability to participate in it. So take a nice, long, deep breath. inhale hold that breath press your palms together pull your belly down deep and in lift your pelvic floor up pull your shoulders back together inhale deeper So, you know, your shadow and your light. When you bring your palms together at your heart, you're accepting all parts of yourself. You pull your shadow and your light in together, press it in. You allow yourself to be who you are and to continue to grow and to be better each day at who you are to find this ultimate wisdom that really resides within you already. It's all there. And you just keep working to find it and get better at it, easier to find it. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I love that chant. And Satnam, when that's I, what it is, uh, right? Satnam is truth. Sat is truth. In Sanskrit, satya. In Kundalini, Sat, Gurmuk Sat, um, truth, and Nam is identity. So that mm. is the what's known as the Bij, B-I-J mantra in Kundalini. It's the mantra that you every inhale you think the sound Sat, every exhale you think the sound Nam. It's your truth. It's your identity. It's reaching a higher frequency within yourself. Getting getting better at being you on every level. That Love you it. can. Mm. Love it. Satnam. Satnam. And then when you kind of have had a great day and a great practice and a great, it's Waheguru, like supreme <sighs> ecstasy, like I'm getting out of the darkness. The light is coming in. Waheguru. Mm. 
and that's part of the chant that we did last night for 11 minutes, Har Hare Hari Wahe Guru, which is the wonderful, wonderful mantra, very powerful. Gotta say, practice it sometime for 40 days <laughs> and see what happens. I don't know where we are at yeah. in this, but I really, 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 we didn't hear your poem, and I really like to close out with this really long sot. Yeah, I'll get it after. Nom. My phone's in another room. I'll get okay. it after. Yeah. So if we're closing, unless you have anything else to say, I want us to chant just one time a really long sot and a very brief nom. And, and I ask you to see, bring your palms together at your heart and see if you can feel the effect of this during the practice. So big, long, deep inhale. Sat. No. Can we do that again? I couldn't feel. I couldn't feel it yet. Oh, do you want to do that again? Did you again? feel it yet? You want to do it again? Did you feel it yet? Was it? I need a deeper breath. I need a deeper breath. Okay. Yeah. Right. Everybody ready? Yeah. Ready? Inhale. Sat. No. Peace to all. Love to all and light to all. Thank you so much. There's just for the record so much that I still would like to ask you. So we'll keep <laughs> talking after the mics are off. Okay. Um, but I know it's time to wrap up. It's been a deep, <laughs> present, and much loving conversation. So thank you so much for bringing it all in, sharing with thank us you. yourself. Thank you. Thank you for allowing my little nervous quirks, mispronounced words, etc. It was a pleasure to be here <laughs> and to be asked. And just so people know, very nice. when can they come to join you in your beautiful Kundalini practice here at Koru? Well, for the next two weeks, Wednesdays at 6.15, and I'm hoping after that, Tuesdays at 6.15 p.m., that is. So... But check the Karoo website. It will always be there. Great. Do you okay. teach any other classes or have any other classes in the horizon besides the Kundalini? Here or elsewhere? Here. Oh, well, I, I really want to do my four-week um, meditation class where I teach many different styles. People seem to really enjoy that class. So it just meets an hour a week for four weeks, and there's a lot of homework in between, and we get to chat and I would love to do my um, I do a two and a half hour intro mm -hmm. slash immersion into Kundalini which a lot of people really like so we don't just chant Ong Nemo I, I really talk to you about why we chant it what it means how it resonates the power of it etc and then with um, the mole mantra which is um, 
Adgare Name, Jagadgare Name, Satgare Name, Sri Guru Deve Name, which is a pretty powerful and important protective mantra. And we pick a Kriya that is not too long and not too short. And I go over the systems of the body, like the glandular systems that Kundalini is trying to get at. So the circulatory, the nervous, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the excretory, all of them. We talk about them. And during each one, a couple of asanas that are good for that. So it's, it's a program I like to do and people seem to enjoy it. It's not too long and it's not too mm -hmm. short. So it's like about two and a half hours and we get to do at least an 11 minute chant in there so you get to see what that feels like right so tune in to our website we'll be offering that soon in the next few months for sure um can people find you anywhere online are you into that kind of stuff i do have a website <laughs> go on octankruger.com that is o <laughs> how unusual and can you spell it for us o-g-d-e-n-k-r-u-g-e-r dot c-o-m Plus some beautiful postings on Instagram that I see frequently. Lots of yummy, delicious I do, I do Instagram and I do have two Facebook pages, an Ogden Kruger and a Yoga Ogden. So. Love it. But yoga all, Den, all, is that your little? Yoga Den is kind of what I call my business because my name's in the middle of there. Huh. Love it. Yoga OG. This is the first time I've Den realized this, actually. Yes. I saw name, it on the my on name is email in there. Email signature, such a beautiful signature. Yes. Yeah. Well, my cards, which I am going to change because I changed my website, you know, the Y and the A are different colors. And then my name is the same. So you kind of... Love it. Some people get it, some people don't. That kind of Such thing. is life. It's all right. <laughs> Sometimes we get it a little later. Like some things I, like they me. sink me, <laughs> sink in five yeah. years later. Oh, that's what he meant. <laughs> oh, well, divine timing. Um, thank you again so much for being here with us today. Thank you. Yeah. It was cool. Thank you so much for listening to Movement Matters. And please sh check the show notes for more about Ogden Kruger and Dan, her wonderful husband who makes the best pizza and uh, coffee. And coffee, yes, cappuccinos, as Ogden mentioned. Um, we've wanted to say something about Marianne Williamson there. As wonderful as she seems to be and probably is, we're definitely not endorsing her as a candidate. We still are endorsing Justin Guarini, who hasn't officially put his bid in yet, but he we're will. We're trying. He will. Um, by the way, please like, share, subscribe to Movement Matters. Let us know how much you love the podcast. What would you like us to talk about? Send us notes, love notes, letters, tweets. It's all welcome. Uh, we are so grateful to have these conversations on coexistence with um, our people here in Bucks County area, remote conversations. Stay tuned for something coming up very soon uh, from the West Coast. And have a beautiful week. All right. Thank you. <laughs>